0: Welcome to the Brand New You Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you clearly and confidently market your brand so you flourish. I'm your host, Ryan Roten, and today's guest is Mark Tim. Mark is an accomplished entrepreneur, having founded multiple businesses and running a few others such as Integra Medical, Exponential, The Cottage Garden, and Ziegler Family. And while all of those are great, he would probably tell you that his proudest accomplishment is being the CEO of the most valuable business in the world, his family. Mark is also a fellow Hoosier, a pilot, and a Boilermaker. Go Boilers! And he's the co-author of the book, Mentor to Millions, a book that he wrote with Kevin Harrington, one of the original sharks from the TV show, The Shark Tank. Mark, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the Brand New You Show.
1: Hey, thanks, Brian, for having me. We're so excited to be here. Yes, fellow Hoosier, Boilermaker. But you said, probably would say, I'm going to tell you without a doubt, unequivocally, that in all of my life's learning, being the CEO of my family is the thing I'm not only most proud of, but the thing that I love most doing.
0: Yeah. And I got to tell you in the book, uh, which is an excellent book, by the way, highly recommend people go out and pick it up or at least pre-order it now, but pick it up when it's ready. But you interweave the lessons of Kevin, you know, your business life with him, also with your family life, which I thought was really pretty cool and how you apply business lessons to family lessons. And we're going to get into that here in a minute. But I have one question that I like to ask all of my guests before I get started, which is if you could vacation in only one place for the rest of your vacation days, where would you go?
1: If I could vacation in only one place for the rest of my days, my wife and I just got back from Aruba and we're just talking about how to get back there. And so we we loved it and it was amazing. Now, since it's an island, that makes it a little bit difficult for me to say only one place, but I'll stick with the A's and say either Aruba or Asheville, North Carolina, both of which we love dearly. And we are leaving on Thursday for Asheville, North Carolina. So you can see how committed we are to these two locations.
0: Yeah, totally different locations too. <laughs>
1: totally It's amazing.
0: Different. Awesome. So... Obviously we're here to talk about today, the book Mentor to Millions, which again, really, really good book. Lots of lots of great lessons in this book, especially as somebody who's been in entrepreneurship or at least running your own business now for three years. And what I found interesting about the book is that like a lot of business books entrepreneurial type books start off with business stuff and like they just dive right in. But your book is different right away because you describe something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs experience and struggle with. Some choose to do something different about it. Some just sit
1: in their driveway and think. So what is a driveway moment? Yeah. So it was interesting because our publisher is Hay House and they've published thousands of books. And when we turned in the manuscript, they literally came back, our editor came back and said, the opening line of this book is the most compelling opening line I've read in a decade. And I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for everybody and give you the opening line. And the opening line is, I turned into my driveway, I stopped my car because I knew I didn't want to go home. Now, the reasons for not wanting to go home as an entrepreneur are, I lost a bunch of money. I I made a horrible decision, I you know, I failed, I'm going bankrupt. I can think of a million reasons not to go home, but the reason I didn't wanna go home that day is because I had just had one of the best days of my life. I made every single decision with confidence and clarity. I had one of the biggest sales I'd ever made in my entire life, all happened in that one day. And I turned into my driveway and there's a little hill where I can stop my vehicle before anyone at home can see me. And I stopped there because I just left a world of confidence and clarity. And I knew I was going home to a world of chaos and confusion. And I didn't want the euphoria to stop. And guess what? I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this feeling. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that feel the same way. They look at their work world and say, I'm confident. I'm clear. I know what I'm doing. I can make decisions. They look at their home world and go, what the heck? This is crazy. This is confusing. This is chaotic. That's why the book was written the way it was. The reason Hay House got so excited about this book is because there's lots of business books out there. There's lots of how to do better in business. This is the only book that takes every key lesson of how to grow and scale your business and then at the end of the chapter i take it and explain to you how i took that exact same idea and grew and scaled my family because what happens after that driveway moment is that i literally realized that everything i had been thinking about was upside down and i had it all backwards and it, hit, I'm, I'm getting chills right now. Every hair on my body is standing on end just telling the story because I can, I can remember that driveway moment like it was yesterday because it changed everything. And it was at that moment that I hit the pedal to the metal. I flew up my driveway. I ran in my house. I grabbed my wife and said, I got to talk to you. I said, I've been doing this all wrong. Will you please trust me and let me go at it a different way? And I don't think she understood anything I was talking about, but she loved the passion and purpose in my voice and my body language. And she said, I'm in. And the very next day, I legally incorporated my family. You can look it up on the Indiana Register. It's Tubi Tim's LLC. It is a legal entity. And what I did was I started running my family as a business. And very quickly, it became the most valuable business that I will ever own, ever operate, ever even have a chance to work with is my family. It was the one I was going home to, not the one I was going to that morning. It was that business that became my most valuable business. And I became the CEO of that most valuable business. And it changed everything. It not only changed everything for me, but it changed everything for my wife and for my kids. My kids' trajectory has forever been changed because of that driveway moment, because of that moment sitting in that car when I realized why I was put on this earth and it wasn't to run businesses. Okay. It was, I was put on this earth to be a father and a husband and to be CEO of the most valuable business on earth. And what I figured out is that everything I was doing in business was just so that I could do that. Every lesson I learned was so that I could do that. Every podcast I was on was so that I could do that. And that's the pivot, that's the driveway moment that starts this book. Now, the book is filled with amazing stories and amazing lessons for entrepreneurs and business, but I take it back and show you that even if you don't have a business, you can read Mentor to Millions and you can apply nearly every lesson we're teaching to your most valuable business, which is your family.
0: One of the things that you talk about right at the beginning of the book that you did with your family, which I found interesting because I actually did this um, probably not thinking about it in the same way you did. In fact, probably not at all, but I did it anyway. I had all my family take an assessment because I'm a big believer in assessments and understanding, you know, self self self-awareness and kind of growing yourself in that way. And so one of the interesting things that came out of it was that my wife and my youngest son are like the same person. And I so can see that. And when they get into disagreements with each other, they argue the same way. It's just amazing. But you gave your family the DISC assessment. So, how much how much of that has impacted the way your family interacts with each other?
1: You know what the most amazing thing about the DISC assessment is that my family got permission to be different. Like, mm. you know, sometimes my my kids would get upset with their brother or sister, Because they thought they were weird or they thought that they didn't understand when in reality they were thinking, hey, that you're just not like me. Well, the DISC assessment, not only did I make them take the DISC assessment, right? I made them present on it. They had to actually do a presentation to the family during our family (laughs) board meeting one by one. And each one got their own session, not, not all done at the same time. But they got to present to the family what their DISC assessment was, what they agreed with, what they didn't agree with, and what made them unique in that assessment. So by the time it was done, everybody had permission to be different. And everybody had newfound patience for the difference because they (laughs) understood the difference. And one of the other assessments we did, by the way, DISC was critical. We also did the five love languages. Now, that's not typically done as a business assessment. DISC is used in business all the time. It's used in hiring, etc. But we did the five love languages as a family. Wow, was that transformational. It became so significant. And again, we had them present on their love languages. In our family, we had all five represented, which meant that, you know, what, what said love to my daughter did not say love to my son. And, and did not say love to me and so we started in fact we got so into this that that fall that christmas our entire christmas was based on the five love languages meaning every gift had to be given according to the love language of the person so what that meant is mine is words of affirmation so my kids literally wrote me poetry they wrote me they, they wrote stories of, of why they love me as a dad I, I have them framed. They're like some of the most valuable gifts I've ever been given in my life was given that Christmas because they were so leaned into my love language. And so and other kids had quality time or they had, had words of affirmation as well. So my wife and I gave like coupons to say you get special time with us going out to dinner or a movie. So it fed into their love language. And so, and the kids all look back, I've got young adult children now, and they look back at that Christmas and say, it was the best gifts that was ever given. And the amount of money that was spent that Christmas was almost nothing.
0: Yeah, that's amazing what self-awareness frankly can do for you and knowing how your how you like to see things, knowing how others like to see things or you perceive things. I personally think it helps so much with communication and other super important things that you need as you start to, you know, as you become an entrepreneur, as you start to start a business. And it's also things that if you have a really good mentor, you can get some of those things from your mentor. And one of the things I've noticed about entrepreneurs, especially in the beginning, and we're going to talk more about this as we go through here, but like everybody wants to go at it alone. They just like, it's my business. It's my thing. It's my baby. I don't want anybody to, you know, get involved with it, that type of thing. And we'll talk more specifics about how that mindset is actually hurting your business. But one of the things I noticed too, is they don't like to have, or they don't have mentors. And Obviously you use mentors, you use coaches, and they've impacted your life and your business. But for those people who are listening right now who are going, yeah, I hear about mentors all the time, but I don't know how or where to find one and what makes a good one. Like what advice would you give to those folks about about finding mentors and and, uh, utilizing them and helping them in some way?
1: Well, there's a lot there to unpack, but one of the things I just want to embrace and endorse is you're exactly right most entrepreneurs are going out of the loan it's the hardest way to do it we weren't put on this earth as human beings to be alone we weren't we weren't designed to be alone we were never supposed to be alone so why would we ever try to set out to change the world to bring to the world our purpose our passion our product that we know can impact the world why would we do that alone Yet so many of us do it. And we find ourselves on this island, you know, in the middle of nowhere, you know, trying to figure this out when we're supposed to do it with help. And the, that helped the fastest way. The book is Mentored to Millions. It's not millions of dollars, Ryan. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about millions of dollars. We're talking about millions of people impacted. And your listeners, many of them have an idea. They have their own driveway moment. They have their own thing they're working on that could impact millions of people the fastest way to impact is mentorship. You, it's, it's really simple. I mean, you, this is how it works. Okay. I'll give you the three steps to becoming a mentor to millions, to impacting millions. Number one, you got to have a mentor and that's as simple as raising your hand and saying, I'm ready to be mentored. It could be someone in your inner circle that says, I'm ready to mentor you. It could be someone in your inner circle that knows exactly who you need as a mentor, but I believe you already know everybody you need to know to accomplish everything you need to accomplish in life. You just have to raise your hand and be bold enough and courageous enough to say, I'm ready. I need a mentor. So that's number one. Step number two is you then have to become the best student of that mentor. So many mentors, myself included, get so frustrated. My mentor, Kevin Harrington, one of the busiest guys I've ever met, Never, I get dizzy just looking at his schedule. I can't imagine doing his schedule. So when he agrees to mentor me, like I go out of my way to make it easy for him because I know how busy he is and he appreciates that. And you know what he does? He gives me more time because he appreciates and respects the fact that I value his time and I became his best student all of a sudden he found time for me. We started traveling together. I I brought my family down to where he lives for a month so that I could travel with him, be on the airplane with him, be on in Ubers with him, be in proximity to him. And so I made it easy for him. I became his best student. So number one, raise your hand. I need a mentor. Number two, when you get a mentor, be their best student. Now here's number three, you accomplish number one and two. It's like building a house out of bricks somebody, your mentor gives you the bricks and bricks are awesome. If you've ever seen a brick house, a block house, man, it can withstand anything, but bricks alone, even a a small guy like me can knock over a brick wall. If it's just bricks, Mm -hmm. what it's missing is the concrete, the mortar, what makes a brick wall, a foundation that you can build a skyscraper on is the concrete and the foundation. So you get the bricks from your mentor, from being his best student, but the way you lock it in, the concrete that, that forges the foundation is when you then become a mentor yourself. Because the process is you've got to learn it, then you've got to live it, and then you've got to teach it. And when you start teaching what you've learned to other people, that's what locks it in. That's what creates a foundation that will allow you to impact millions of people. This is the lessons we teach in the book. And we teach it through lots of examples of failures and successes and ideas. And it's loaded with ideas, but it's not a how-to book with the exception of what I just gave you. We do tell you how to impact millions of people because we say you need to get a mentor You need to be the best student and you need to be a mentor. That's the trifecta of real impact.
0: I love that because you hear all the time, like the best way to learn a subject is to teach it. And, you know, because you're out, you're out there, you're kind of vulnerable and you're helping other people move forward with lessons. One of the, one of the things that you talk a lot about, which kind of surprised me, like for a business book, I mean, you hear about it all the time, but it surprised me that you talk a lot about failure in this book and how you can learn from failure and so i am just you know curious like how important is failure in the entrepreneur's journey and is it okay to fail with your mentor watching
1: it's best to fail with your mentor watching because (laughs) then they're there to lift a hand and pull you back up I met Kevin Harrington through a mutual mentor by the name of Zig Ziglar. Zig was the father of motivation and inspiration and he passed away a few years ago, but he mentored Kevin when he was a young man and he mentored me when I was a young man and the family, the children of Zig Ziglar decided to put us together. That's how we met. So you think about mentor to millions, our original connection was through a mentor who has passed away from this earth and is still his legacy of mentorship is rippling across the planet. I would say Zig Ziglar has probably impacted a billion people now just through his legacy as it's rippled out because Kevin and I are now impacting millions of people because of our relationship. And we're just simply two of the people Zig mentored. And so you see how that process works. But the big thing is Zig used to say, nobody, nobody drowns by falling into water. They drown by staying there. And that's all about failure. In the book, we have a chapter called Failure to Phoenix. Phoenix is a mythical bird that only can get stronger if the previous version of itself dies. So it has to die and then it's born again even stronger. That's the entrepreneurial journey. For an entrepreneur to become super successful, they have to fail because it the lessons in success are small, but the lessons in failure are big. And so when you find an entrepreneur that's successful, there's a good chance they have failed many, many times. In fact, we were in this big room and someone asked Kevin about his biggest failure. And he's like, Which one? And he said, I'll tell you what, you guys look at me for success. I've had 20 businesses go over a hundred million dollars in sales. I've done six billion dollars in sales in my life. But here's the thing you don't know about me. I have failed more times than anyone in this room. In fact, I failed probably as much as all of you in this room. But every time I fail, I get stronger and I learn from that failure. And he's like, I prefer to fail fast and fail cheap. That isn't always the case. But I know I'm gonna fail and I'm gonna learn from those failures and I'm gonna get up stronger every single time. So we talk just as much in this book about failure as we do success because really, that's the key to success is failure. And I apply it at home to family. It's the same thing. You know, we we fail as a family too. The only reason that I can talk to you right now as passionately as I am about this new way of thinking about the family is because I got it wrong longer than I've gotten it right. I only figured out this whole concept of your family is the most valuable business about six years ago. I've got a 22-year-old son That means that for the majority of his life, I wasn't doing the dad thing the way he needed me to do it, but I got it figured out just in time and it made all the difference in his life. And so the bottom line is you can fail at home as long as you're learning from those failures and you're evolving. And by the way, one of the most powerful things you can do to your kids, you said, what's it like to fail in front of a mentor? And I said, it's a good thing. You know what it's like to fail in front of your kids? if you can be vulnerable enough to fail in front of your kids and admit your failure take responsibility for it and grow from it it's one of the best lessons you can ever give i'll never forget back six years ago when i got on this new journey with this driveway moment i s- set my family down and i apologized to them it was the most vulnerable moment of my life i felt completely naked completely vulnerable I felt so weak. Like it was, the, I felt the weakest I'd ever felt as a human being, exposing myself to my kids, my wife, and my family, and saying, I have failed you and I am sorry. Every one of my kids, if they were on this podcast, would say, That was the strongest they've ever seen me as their dad was that moment. It takes tremendous courage and tremendous amount of strength to admit your failures and learn from them. There's obviously a lot of people
0: right now with COVID going on who've been impacted, you know, from a career standpoint. And I remember three years ago that I was let go from a company after 13 years. And the first thing I did as I was driving back to my house was think, how am I I, like, it was kind of my really long drive moment. (laughs) But how am I going to explain this to my kids? And, you know, there's a couple of trains of thoughts. One, I could just not say anything and just go find another job. And like one day they would see a different logo on my shirt. (laughs) But I decided to use that opportunity to talk to them about, you know, career ladders and how things happen and not everything's in your control. And so we sat down at lunch and I explained to them what was happening and that I was not making any money anymore. And I was going to go in this new direction and create a business. My youngest son looked at me and he goes, it's okay. Everything will be okay. You'll make it work. And you know, talk about just like an encouragement to move forward. It was, it was amazing. If you just be honest with your family and let them know what's going on instead of trying to keep all this stuff inside, because all that does is just eat away at you. And it ultimately will play itself out in front of your family in probably a way you don't want it to.
1: You're completely (laughs) right. And that's why we talk about failure in the book, because again, we want to teach people how they can impact millions it's going to be because they're willing to fail and learn from it because that's just the process. That is the process we all have to go through.
0: Yeah, and and failure is as I mentioned earlier, it's one of the things that you talk about a lot in the book. And one of the earliest failures I think for entrepreneurs, or at least what we would view as entrepreneurs, is when we get a no from a sales call, or we get a no when we're standing in front of somebody, which is worse, and they tell us no. One of the lessons that that's Kevin talks about in the book that you, you know, you write about one of his lessons is called in a sales call, isolating the objection. Can you tell us what isolating the objective objection means and how that helps once you can do that?
1: Yeah, but I got to give you a little more context about no, because here's the deal. This is something Kevin taught me. So this is something my mentor taught me. Kevin actually tries to get a no. You know, because it's, it takes a long process often to get someone to a yes when you're trying to sell them something, but usually you can get to a no pretty quickly. And why does Kevin want to get to a no? <clears throat> because the only person you can't sell something to is a maybe. You can sell to a yes and you can sell to a no. Now, what do I mean by that? When someone says no, Kevin can't help himself after all the years of being an entrepreneur, he gets a little smile. Because do you know what he just learned about that person? They're a decision maker. And he can work with a decision maker because he can isolate their objective, he can find out why they said no, overcome that objective and turn it into a yes. But if he can't get a no, and he gets a maybe, or even worse, a non-decision, then that you can't do anything with that. You can't help that person make a decision if they're not a decision maker. But if they are a decision maker, then you can just help them get to the right decision. So when you get a no, that is the green light to say, now I need to find out why it's a no so that I can overcome that objective. So that's the whole concept of isolating an objective is figuring out, oh, you said no. Would you mind explaining to me why you said no? Oh, sure. I said no because the price is too high. Boom, you now know the objection. Now you can isolate it and you can overcome it. But until you got the no, you didn't know it was price. Maybe it was quality. Maybe it was color. Maybe it was you know proximity. You didn't know what the no was going to be until you got the no. Once you got the no, you can isolate the object, the objection. You can overcome it. But the biggest thing for people to hear is that the second best response to any ask for a sale is no. Of course, the best response is a yes. You're done. It's over. Boom. The second best response is a no. And most people wouldn't say that. Most people would think of any other response other than a no, because usually when people get a no, it's over, game over, they're done. But if you really understand the power of no, then you'll go for a no so that you can get an even bigger yes.
0: Yeah. One of the hardest things that I started doing I won't say early in my journey, but after a while in my journey, was when I got a no, asking people why. Like, because no can be such a hard feeling for you, like, uh, and so you're kind of numb and you don't think to ask any more questions. But when I started asking why, like, okay, great, I get it to know, but why is it a no? You learn so much about your offer. You learn so much about their mindset. And if you use that information later, you can tailor your messaging and marketing and some of your sales presentation in order to maybe overcome some objections during your presentation, as opposed to getting the no and then having to go in and figure out, okay, why did they say no?
1: Couldn't agree more. Said I, it extraordinarily well. Agree I, with you 100%.
0: Speaking of growth, entrepreneurs all want to grow. I want to grow my business. I want to grow my business. But what you hear more and more of too, especially with startups is I want to scale. And you really do. You and Kevin do a great job of explaining the difference between growth and scale in the book. So can you take just a minute and help us understand
1: why we actually don't want to grow? Yep. So we, we basically separate growth and scale from the best way to do it is mathematically growth is linear, okay? Growth is linear and scale is exponential. And we want entrepreneurs to scale. And scale happens at a particular time in the business where the business is ready. And we refer to it in the book as the hockey stick, where it goes along, goes along, goes along, and then it hits this curve and it begins to scale. But this is actually one of the biggest reasons I chose Kevin as a mentor. So it wasn't for family. It wasn't for all the things I ended up learning. I said, this guy knows how to scale. And I had had successful businesses, but none of them scaled. They all grew. They grew over time. They grew to a certain level. They plateaued and never got any higher. And in some cases, they grew, plateaued, and then went down. And that was the process that I was experiencing. And I wanted that hockey stick. I wanted that scale. And I knew Kevin could teach it to me. And he did teach it to me. And he taught it to me in very powerful ways. And I'll give you one example of what scale looks like. I was hiring people I could afford. So as I would do more in revenue, I would hire more people that I could afford. It's the same thing that most entrepreneurs do. Kevin didn't hire who he could afford. Kevin hired who was going to take him to scale. So he gave me the example one time. I said, I said I don't understand. I mean, I, I don't get it. How can you truly put a dream team around you to scale? And he said, most of the time, the people required to grow are not the people required to scale. And so he's like, when it's time to scale, I put a dream team in place. And he gave the example. He said, I would rather have a, a an accountant that is a $100 million scale accountant for 10 hours a week then a $1 million growth accountant for 60 hours a week. Now, put that in your mind for just a second and marinate on that. An accountant that knows how to grow businesses to a million dollars, he can work in your business for 60 hours, 70 hours, shoot 80 hours. He's not going to get your business to 100 million. But an accountant that knows how to scale to 100 million dollars Kevin would rather have him for 10 hours a week. So when he went to put his dream team in place, he may not have been able to afford the $100 million accountant, but he could afford 10 hours of his time. And so he would put together a dream team that could scale. He put together a team that could scale the business. He put together an infrastructure that could scale. One of my businesses that I was so, it was one of my best businesses ever. I did sell it but it was so physicality based. I had multiple warehouses, millions of dollars worth of inventory. And I was never going to get that business to a hundred million dollars because I didn't have the capital to keep building warehouses and buying more product. I'm now back in the same industry with a similar business that is, I'm no kidding, well on its way to a hundred million dollars. I don't own a single warehouse. It only has three employees. And it's going to do hundred million dollars because I set this business up to scale this time, not to grow. And that's the difference. So there's a massive difference between growth and scale. You're going to have to just get the book Mentor to Millions if you want yes. all the lessons in that section, because it's a meaty section. But there's a huge difference between growth and scale. And most entrepreneurs are growing. And then some entrepreneurs are scaling. And the difference is significant.
0: It's a really eye-opening chapter, and and again, I definitely recommend people go out and read the book, especially if you're looking to you want to grow, scale something very big, and you want to do it the right way. One of the ways that you talk about though, being able to afford the you know the hundred million dollar person, is to um, give away a portion of the business if that's what you have to do to help pay for that person. And obviously, there's a lot of reluctance around that. I mean, you've grown grown something; it's your baby right? So, what do you say to the person who says they want to scale, but yet they sit there and go, uh, I'm not sure if I want to give away a percentage of my business?
1: Yeah. For, for Until I met Kevin, I owned 100% of all my businesses. That was one of the main reasons why I was never going to scale. And so, since then, I've started multiple businesses since meeting Kevin. I don't own 100% of any of them and I never will. My business, that's well on its way to $100 million. One of the first things I did was find someone that could run the operations better than me and give them a piece of the business. I still own the overwhelming majority of the company. This is a young entrepreneur that has all the hours and passion to give to this business. And I gave them a piece of the company so that when it started to scale, they were locked in. They're not going to go anywhere else. I kept bringing in these amazing young people. I'd have them for four or five years and then they'd leave me because they were ready to do their own thing, ready to go on and work for someone else, maybe for more money or or start their own business. But now I'm locking in this young talent because I'm giving them a piece of the business. And as soon as it starts to scale, the last place they're going is anywhere else because they've helped build it to the point of scale. They're locked in. And so I, I know that so many people have the mindset that I did. You see them on Shark Tank, by the way. Those people that go on there and they're like fighting over one percentage point. And so we all see it. It's good made for TV. But in reality, it happens all the time. People are like so married to the fact of owning all of it that they miss the opportunity to bring other people in and to be able to afford $100 million talent just by giving it away. Now, I'm not a mathematician. I'm decent at math. But last time I checked, 50% of $100 million was more than 100% of a million dollars. And so, that's the difference. You know, you can keep the, the 100% and you can grow to a $1 million or you can give up 50% and get to $100 million. I choose that as a way of scaling business instead of growing business. Now, you have to be smart about it. You know, the person I brought into this business that's going to do $100 million, there's stair steps. As the business scales, it's actually a her. She gets more and more of the company. Why am I willing to give more of the company as it's scaling? because she's been a part of it and as it's scaling, I can afford to give her more of it because my piece is growing exponentially as well. And by the way, you can scale your family. I, I wanna make sure we're clear on this. This is one of those chapters that I take this whole mind blowing concept of scale and I turn around and I show how I scaled my family. And scaling your family, again, is one of the most valuable things that you can do. You can scale your family in terms of impact, in terms of relationships. I now have relationships with my kids that are so far beyond anything I would have ever allowed myself to even dream of 10 years ago. And that's the relationship I have with my kids. That's scale. That's scaling a relationship. My children have chosen me to be their mentor for the rest of their life that's scale. And you can do it too.
0: It's pretty amazing to think like, because you said something about the shark tank and they, they argue over that half percent. And I always sit there and go, dude, it's a half a percent. Look at who you get. Like for that yes. half a percent, yes. you're getting yes. these two people or this person you get Kevin. Like, is yep. he not worth a half a percent? Come on, dude. <laughs> what I'm are you the, thinking? It drives me crazy. Some people think that they have this thing called a perfect plan in their mind and they don't want to move past or or mess up their perfect plan, which is usually, you know, the typical 12 month plan. This is what I'm thinking. Here's where things are going to go. But one of the things I found interesting as I was reading through the book was that Kevin actually only espouses a six month frame for business plans. That is blasphemy to a lot of people. Explain why six months is better than 12 months.
1: Yeah. It's just because you, you, in this day and age, everything's moving so fast. I mean, seriously, everybody, everybody listening right now, go back six months. Yeah, Where were you and where are you now? So do you really think a 12 month plan would have changed where you're at now? If you'd had a 12 month plan in February, okay. Versus a six month plan and versus a six week plan. So his feeling is as an entrepreneur, one of your greatest strengths is to be agile, It's to be nimble, It's to be able to pivot and, and to be able to respond to failure. I mean, one of the problems with a 12 month plan is that what if you're wrong? And now you've invested 12 months into being wrong instead of six months in being wrong. And you know, and that's why he's like, I don't wanna be wrong for 12 months. If I'm gonna be wrong, let's cut that down. Let's shorten that a little bit. Let's learn from our time frame and let's pivot. So that's why he has a much shorter time frame that he looks. Now, the reason he says six months and not six weeks is because oftentimes you have to cash flow. You do have to plan a sales cycle, producing merchandise, storing it, shipping it, fulfilling it, selling it, et cetera. So six weeks may not be reasonable, but six months is almost every business can cycle itself in a six-month time frame. So that's why he picks six months. And it's also to shorten that window of failure. Again, we're back to failure. Because his feeling is entrepreneurs are going to fail. It's part of the journey to get to that success. And so why get locked into a long-term failure? Let's shorten that so we can pivot, learn from it, and be stronger from it, and then hit that ball out of the park.
0: Yeah, speaking of being shorter and getting moving, one of the uh, concepts you talk about in the book is perf- the procrastinating perfectionist. And everybody thinks they can get the plan to 100% before they launch it, but Kevin espouses get to 80, or actually if you go to 80, you've gone too far, but let's just stick with 80 for a second. But when you're when you're not at 100% ready to go, why should you launch? What's I mean, because you're not like people are going to go, but well, I got to have a 100% plan. Why is 80% good enough?
1: So number one, you've done an amazing job of reading this book. I just got to tell you, this is probably one of the best interviews I've done. You, you really got some, some gold out of it because you're finding some of the best gold in the book. A, perfect, a per- procrastinating perfectionist is that entrepreneur that's like not quite, he's always six weeks or six months away from launching and then never launches because he's trying to get it perfect. Well, here's the deal. Almost no entrepreneur is their avatar meaning who you're selling your product, your service, or your passion to is not you. It's somebody else. And so if, unless your only audience is you, then you can't go to 100% because it, perfection is, is not possible. It, it is the, the, the lure of failure and an ultimate failure. And usually the, the search for perfectionist is how an entrepreneur goes bankrupt, and so you need to get it to that 70, 75%, launch it, and then let your customers tell you how to get it the last 25%. And that saves you a lot of money because if a product costs $1,000 to produce to 100%, all right, the same amount is going to be spent getting it to 75 as will be spent to the last twenty. So it's disproportionate that last little bit. So spend the $500 to get it to $75, launch it, and then you'll much better know that $500 that gets it to the perfection or gets it to scale at that point or gets it to something that will sell. Most entrepreneurs spend the $1,000 or worse yet, spend more than the $1,000 trying to get to perfection only to find out they were wrong and they have no juice left in the squeeze. They don't get no gas in the tank to be able to pivot and do something else versus take it to that 75, learn from your avatars, pivot, and then you know where to make the rest of your investment and how to take off at that point. So that's part of that failure. That's part of being willing to fail early, fail cheap, is get it out there before it's perfect. The procrastinating perfectionist actually almost never makes it to market. And that's really sad because many times they have a great idea, but they never make it because they run out of money. They run out of gas. Their team sometimes ends up leaving them in the search for perfection, which is not possible. Yeah. I, I actually
0: work with the- an entrepreneur is like a kind of a, <laughs> another role that I have, where we help entrepreneurs kind of look at their business differently. And a key piece of that is the processes that they use within inside their business. And as a ex Lean manufacturing and Six Sigma black belt, like I'm really processes are really ingrained in my brain. So how do and you talk about this in the book? Is how do processes help you scale? Well,
1: wow. the process takes all of the risk out of the equation, and so you know one of the best things that you can do is literally if you've got a process if you've got a process that you can use it takes all of the risk out because you can follow that process and oftentimes that process has been perfected by somebody else and you're simply using it just like i gave you the process for becoming your own mentor to millions or impacting millions it's get a mentor it's be their best student, and then it's be a mentor. That's a process, okay? That's a formula that works, and it works over and over. And so when we don't have a process, when we don't have something to lean on, then we're taking a lot of unnecessary risk. And it takes a lot of of work and effort to be able to figure something out without a process. And there's so many books, there's so many podcasts. You know, Zig, our, our mutual mentor, said you can change who you are and where you are by changing one thing, what you put into your mind. You change what you put into your mind and you can change everything. Here's what you need to know. I still drive the same vehicle I was driving that day in my driveway. I still live in the same house. I still have the same wife. I still have the same kids. So how did everything change? It changed because I changed. I was the only equation that changed. When I changed, then they all started changing and my family changed and my life changed. And I'm talking to you here today. So process is something that is powerful. It's a powerful thing to help build on and give us that foundation to be able to get our product purpose or passion to the world.
0: I'm going to ask you one more question, then we're going to wrap up. I just noticed the time. You yeah. have an entire section in the book about elevators to success. And I just recommend people buy the book and read it because it's really, really good. However, I want to ask you this last question before we wrap up, which is our kids see success through the lens of YouTube, Instagram, and some of these other social platforms where they think that, oh well, this guy's like got millions of viewers and millions of likes and millions like they're and they're millionaires now. They don't see the journey. They just see you know, the result. And so how do you talk to your children about the successes that they see in these social media sites and the, and the reality that sits behind them?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one because uh, you know, the, the, the concept is there's no elevator to the floor of success. You have to take the stairs and everybody has to take the stairs. You can't skip the process. You can't skip the journey. You can't skip the failure or you're skipping all of it, and I think that's one of the things that I would say if, from a family perspective. It's so many parents are afraid to let their kids fail. Like it's the most amazing thing when your kids fail because then they look at you and they need you and they want you. And and that's I became my kids' mentors not because of my success, but because I, would, I allowed them to fail. One of the best things I did I don't have it in the book, but you can I, I talk about it on my personal website is. I give my kids a debit card when they turn 13 and I put the money on it that my wife and I normally would spend on them. And I let them spend it for the month. Okay. Why do I do that? Because it's the quickest way to failure. I mean, Mm. when they don't understand money, uh, it's exactly what my wife and I would spend on them, but we let them spend it. And next thing you know, they're 10 days into the month and they're broke. And so they, they come to us and say, we need more money. And we're like, well, where'd you spend your money? And they're like, Oh, yeah. Well, we bought a, you know, $97 video game. Ooh, ouch. Looks like it's going to be a long month for you. And so it it we we came up with this idea, not because we wanted to be, you know, Grinches, but we wanted to teach them failure. And we went from being no parents to being yes parents. We get to say yes to everything. My daughter one time wanted to buy these things that supposedly made your eyelashes longer, like you brushed it on or whatever. And, and she's like $150. That's, that was like almost her entire budget, you know, was in this and, and she's like, I really need it. I really want it. You know, I, I just got to have it. And I'm like, okay, fine. Buy it. Yes, you can have it. It comes in a package that was no bigger than like a chapstick tube, right? This thing was so tiny. She spent all of her money on this little thing. And guess what? It didn't work. It didn't work. And so she learned this powerful lesson about, you know, you can't go spend all your money on something like that, you know, and so what a great way to fail at 13, 14, 15, so then they appreciate later in life when they get their first job. My kids, I don't have to worry about it. When they get their first job, they know the value of a dollar. I've got three kids that have more in savings than most adults have, and not a penny of that came from me. It came from me teaching them the value of the dollar, from them failing and making mistakes early and now as young adults, my, old, my oldest son just bought his first house to flip it and he's paying cash for it. And it's nice. all money he earned himself because he learned early the value of a dollar and he became a saver and he knew what he wanted to accomplish. That's what comes when you let your kids fail. Let them fail. <laughs> don't, don't keep them from failure. Let them, don't trip them. I'm not saying, you know, make them fail, but right. let them fail because that's when you get to be their coach, their mentor, and that's when you get to really teach them. So I know that was a little soapbox moment for me, but I feel very strongly about it. <laughs> and that is how they get to success by taking the stairs. It's let them fail and then be there to reach down and help them up and teach them, coach them and be their mentor. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: I'm I'm kind of chuckling in the background because um, my son, my 22-year-old son, who knows better, but he called me last week and he said, "Dad, I've only got a dollar 29 in my bank account." And I said, okay, so (laughs) what, what do you want me to do about it? And he's like, (laughs) well, it's only $1.29. And I'm like, well, okay, do this. A, when are you getting paid next? And it wasn't very long. So I was like, okay, no problem. But B, go back through your bank register and tell me how much money you've spent at breweries in the last 30 days. And then he never he didn't call me back because <laughs> i knew he learned no, the he didn't. it's like you know it's yep. like choose where you spend your money like you know you can yep. you can worship people on youtube and and instagram and all that stuff but you have to recognize that they didn't just start a channel yesterday and boom they're there yep. there's a whole bunch of failures and things they had to go through along the way to get there and if you want to get there someday too you have to go through the same type of thing. And one of the ways that they can do that is to find a mentor early in their life and in their as they get their career started. And you are doing something super cool with the book as it releases. The book again is mentored to millions. Highly recommend you go out and pick it out. But you're doing something really cool with some mentoring yourself with the book. So can you tell us a little bit about what's going to happen if people go out and yeah. pre-order the book?
1: So, if people go to, we got a real simple URL, just go to getmtm. So, G-E-T-M-T-M for millions.com. And what we're doing is we found out early on when we started talking about the book that people were like, hey, can you mentor us? You know, I don't have a mentor. How do I get a mentor? And so, we're like, okay, Kevin and I sat down and we created 30 days of mentorship. So, we've got 30 days of being mentored by Kevin and I. So, if you go out and get the book, you go through that URL. Now that URL is going to send you to Amazon or Barnes and Noble. You're going to get it from wherever the book is sold. But then you come back and you show to us that you've actually bought the book. We give you 30 days of mentorship. So everybody should go out and get it. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that we give away, some other secrets of, of, you know, and tools and resources. In fact, one of the things that I'm giving away in the book is an ebook I wrote called How to Win at Home Like You Win at Work. And I wrote this back when I started this whole concept with my family. And so it's one of the things that I give away in there as well. So lots of resources, but go to get MTM, all right, then go buy the book and then come back, put your information in. And we, we've got all kinds of stuff, including the 30 days of mentorship, because we don't want anybody. You know why we pick 30 days? Because it takes 30 days to create a new habit. If you do 30 days of mentorship with Kevin and I, you're going to be so committed and so addicted to mentorship that you're going to go out and get the perfect mentor for your life, and then you're going to be the perfect mentor. And again, I can't stress it enough. You get the right mentor, you be their best student, you become the right mentor, and then sit back and watch the fireworks of your life and your family begin because it is a spectacular show that happens when you complete that trifecta.
0: Awesome. I love it. GetNTM.com. Mark, any final thoughts, tips, or words of wisdom you'd like to pass on to anybody that's listening today?
1: Well, I threw it out there. We talked a lot about family today. So if they do want to go to my personal website, I don't usually even give this out on a podcast, but MarkTimWith2Ms.com is where I share all of the stuff on family, my, the journey my family had, et cetera. And so I want them to get the book and we we, we share the book on that site. But if they want some additional family resources, because we dove so deeply into that, feel free to go there. You can meet my family and engage with me personally if if you would like.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Mark, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. And by the way, next time I'm in Indiana, I might just take you up on that last offer.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I take you up on last offer. I'm going to share a little nugget. You know, your whole podcast is about your brand, how to build your brand. One of the things I share in there is we actually created a family logo and a family mission statement, And we branded our family. And it was one of the coolest, most amazing things we ever did. So that's how far you can take connecting the business world to your family. Yeah, that's very,
0: very cool. Awesome, Mark. Thank you very much. Good luck with the sales of the book. And if there's anything I can do to help move them along faster and scale, let me know. I appreciate you. Today's show was edited and produced by Ryan Rowe. The music for today's show is Hudson Hawk by Neon Beach. All music licenses were purchased via soundstripe.com.